Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Chris Ragg, Nick Hare and Jordan Fermanis of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing Jerry Springer. Nick, take us away. Um, Jerry Springer, big figure in my life, formative years, really, late 90s. Mm. Uh, I was in my sort of teens, early 20s, um, just passed away. Mm. R.I.P. Jerry Springer. Um, interesting man, interesting life. Uh, born in London in 1944 mm-hmm. during during the Blitz, allegedly in a in a tube station. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up in Queens, New York, and uh, eventually became mayor of Cincinnati in mm. uh, 1977. Left wing, wasn't he a socialist or something? I can't remember. I, could have I actually can't tell you. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but of course, best known for the, I mean, he, he was a TV newsreader or anchor man, I think, for a bit and a, and a you know, journalist, um, but best known for, for the Jerry Springer show. In fact, originally just called Jerry Springer, um, which started in 1991. And um, I feel, you know, very important cultural artifact for the 90s, um, a pioneer of what became known as then as trash TV. Um in 2002, now just called TV. Well, indeed. In 2002, the TV Guide said it was the worst TV show of all time, <laughs> to which I say, you sweet summer child, you hadn't seen anything yeah, yet. Yeah, buckle you in. Thought, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, the format of Jerry Springer was simple. He would get some, he would come on with a lot of whooping and shouts of Jerry, Jerry. Um, he he would then introduce some guests, all of whom had an interesting story to tell. And these stories were things like, I want my man to stop watching porn, mm-hmm. domestic, uh, little domestic disputes like that, through to my boyfriend turned out to be a girl. And uh, in one case, I married a horse. And so lots of lots of interesting <laughs> people with interesting stories to tell. Um they would often, uh, more often than not, in fact, descend into physical violence as personal revelations came out. Um, and it got um, steadily trashier over time. In fact, I think it began attempting to be slightly respectable. But at the insistence of TV executives chasing ratings, they gradually started to push the more extreme people with the more extreme stories. Um, and uh, so uh, J- Jerry Springer, I think is a sort of trickster archetype. There's something about the fact that he, you know, he's this agent of chaos, um, bringing bringing sort of colour and disorder into our living rooms in the late 90s. Um, but of course, you know, as a result, led to uh, a lot of trashific- further trashification. Other TV, Montel Williams, Ricky Lake, they all sort of got pushed in the same direction. And I, I think, you know, there's something uh, almost it's almost like we didn't have the word at the time, but there's something uh, almost like clickbait. It's almost like TV clickbait. It's like they worked out how do we get lots of viewers to watch something that is dramatic and full of, uh, you know, conflict and hysteria. Um, and, and this formula, you know, cheap and, to make as well, and, by the way, and, and cheap to make. And so, you know, we've got this we've got this kind of drive towards towards the bottom, you might say. But. Here now, here's the big question. Yeah. Go Was on. it real? So, the now, there is actually quite a lot of debate about the authenticity of people on Jerry Springer. Um, apparently, a number of former guests said that there was a fight quota 
So they had to get a fight. And if the fight wasn't happening, they would do their best to make one happen. And of course, there were security guards on the, you know, in the show who would come in and break up the fight that they were trying to make happen. Um, I must say that having looked back at some classic Jerry Springer episodes with with the sort of jaded hindsight of 2023, they look almost naively fraudulent. You know, there's such a kind of forced acting quality to to some of them um i think they uh, did admit to, they said they tried to screen out non-authentic guests but who knows was it the guests who wanted the limelight and would make stories up is it the tv producers who want uh dramatic stories is a bit of both but the question is does it matter right even if it wasn't real does it matter that it wasn't real what does it mean to say that jerry springer was real or fictional um and indeed widening that, why do we worry about the question of whether fiction is based on a true story? You know, whether Jerry Springer is fictional, but also whether fiction is true. And and um, should we should we stop caring and just say Jerry Springer is great? Let's just let's just enjoy it. Uh, nicely introduced. There's lots going on there. Um, yeah, lo- lots of, sort of questions, as you've already said. And you know, you know, what is truth? What is real? What is authenticity? How blurred is it? Mm. Um, and why do we care? Um, and to answer maybe some of those is our own uh, agent of chaos, uh, Chris. You, can I just tell you his poker nickname when I used to play poker with this man? Go on, Loki. Right, the well, trickster god of Norse mythology. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yes, I think. Yeah, yeah. Frequently posing as a as a horse. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Where do we go with this? What do we want to say? Um, how do we start to narrow this down a little bit? Um, there's a lot to go out here. It feels like we're sort of just like little fish around a, a decaying there, whale. There, there is a lot. To, it's ve- this is very metaphysical in its nature. Yeah. There's a lot to lot to talk around here. I'm not sure we're going to get. I think philosophers have been debating this for some time. Yeah, what is it? Uh, and um, I, although I we have a lot of assembled intellectual horsepower here, I'm not <laughs> sure we're we're quite gonna 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 cap it all off. Ninety ninety or ninety five percent. Yeah. Of that, but, um, so, yeah. Choose your <clears throat> angle. Right. Okay. Well. Uh, so I I think why does it matter? Um, uh, I, I suppose what, how realistic something is, whether or not something is real or fiction, fictional. Okay. Why does that matter? Well, uh, one reason I think is to do with the notion of authenticity, and we we like authenticity. Why do we like authenticity? Because uh, in a sense, why are we being told things why do we share information right it's in order to base decisions on that information it's it's evidence for something having happened that we then take into account when we decide what we're going to do right that's essentially what storytelling is it's about you know sharing other people's experiences not our own experiences but other people's experiences so it's data right and if that data is corrupt inaccurate false then then that 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 messes with our model. So we're okay. Like if if our aim is to be entertained, then that's okay, right? But if we want to base some sort of decision making on it, then we want to know whether it's whether it actually happened or not, right? So so I think that's fundamental. One of the fundamental reasons as to why we want to know. Yeah, but did it really happen? There's a burning sort of 
need. Sometimes you're just happy to leave it vague because it's entertaining, right? But when it comes comes down to it, if we if somebody said, "Oh, do you know the other day I, you know, I uh, went to that restaurant and it was terrible," um, and you found out they lied to you and actually it's a really nice restaurant, that would be sort of you'd feel. Um, Cheated in, in, in some yeah, way. Even if they yeah. told you why it was terrible by telling you this hilarious story about something the chef did that was disastrous and that they almost died from being poisoned by the lobster. And it might be a great story, but if yeah. it wasn't true and you wanted to choose which restaurant to go to, then it would be... They yeah. misunderstood the rules of something. It would be disquieting. Yeah. There's stuff to delve into there, yeah, yeah. But, but I also think um, there's, a, there's an interesting angle, which is that... <clears throat> Um, actually, so so um, Jordan Peterson, uh, 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 you know, among many of his slightly mad ideas, mm. um, he he has this notion that stories are actually truer than reality. Go right? On. Okay, that's uh, and this is quite an it's quite an interesting uh, I idea, um, and this is that stories are the. The distillation of truth. They're a yeah. concentration okay. yeah. of, of lots. Of, so he particularly talks about it in the context of, of religious texts and stories. But um, the and if you think about it, I, I, I you know I thought that's quite an interesting idea. Um, that effectively what you've done is you've taken lots and lots of people's experience and you've distilled it into an archetype and you've gone okay. Well, here's. Um, uh, you know, here's a set of universal truths. It's a little bit like the process of statistics where you, you know, like one point of data is interesting, but a sample and the, you know, the parameters of the, uh, of the, the you know, the statistics relating to the sample possibly give you a truer picture of reality. You know, maybe nobody is uh, five foot six point, you know, three whatever inches mm. are divided into. But, you know, in terms of that telling you something about the height of a population, maybe that's better than knowing that there are dozens of people with different different heights. Like facts so, and truth. So yeah. so yeah, exactly. So so um so that I think that's quite an interesting thing that actually even if even if it is fictional, it might be more truthful than whatever whatever reality is. Yeah, yeah, is. yeah. Good. Um Jordan, what do you got? I, I really think that the um the postmodernists really scrambled this one for everyone. <laughs> They've got a lot <laughs> to answer for. Because, yeah. um, you know, their whole thing about truth is relative and subjective. It's constructed, not discovered. Truth is plural and decentered. There are many truths. I was arguing with my daughter about this the other day. She's very much a relativist. Uh, yeah. yeah, many truths, not just one universal, absolute yeah. truth. I think that really just opened up this whole... Um, you know, it, it, it just, yeah, it, I think something that before that was quite, well, it probably wasn't totally agreed upon, but like there are facts and there are things that aren't facts and there's truth and there isn't truth. I think that just really opened up this whole um, web of possibilities where, where, where truth is just this very elusive thing that doesn't really matter too much mm. and... Um, you know, it can be sort of whatever you want it to be in a, in a way. Yeah, you, sounds like I, a secret manifesto for. for or, yeah. I, th I think you would, if you were to take it, sort of the sort of thing that you might expect a postmodernist uh, to say is the the Times newspaper is as much a work of fiction mm. as Jerry Springer or right. anything else. It's just a construction. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Jordan, keep going. Um, 
Well, yeah, that's what... Well, yeah, so what do you think to that? I mean... Well, that's all I wanted to say about the postmodern thing. But yeah. then, I, like, I do think there's an interesting... So I, I, when I used to work as a journalist, I was interested in new journalism and gonzo journalism. Mm. And the, you know, Hunter S. Thompson, Tom Wolfe, these kind of guys. And that, this is very much in their... <clears throat> um, uh, you know, like a, a, a quote from um, Hunter S. Thompson is, absolute truth is a very rare and dangerous commodity in the context of professional journalism. So this, you know, like it's very much questioning truth as a necessary component of journalism, which I think it's most people sort of think that they, what they're reading is truthful, um, but it kind of span all that into into mm -hmm. chaos. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, but I think when you start doing these things, I do think you get, and it's sort of like back to what Chris was saying about, um, you know, like there is, I think there is a need for us to know what is truth and what isn't, and I think that it, I think these things that sort of um, uh, these things that cast a bit of doubt or sort of blur those lines, I think, are potentially um, destructive. Yeah. Okay. Um, and also, I guess it goes back to this thing about aims and getting close to what you were talking about, Chris, as well, in terms of, uh, I, I guess we're talking about information exchange, or not exchange, but providing information. What do we want to do with that? Because let, let's think about this for a moment. Let's say you're, you just bought a new um, stereo system, mm. as we're always doing these days, right? Yeah. Um, and the instructions, yeah? You want those to be true. You want them to be factual, probably. Mm. And you want to get some information from those. And if you later found out that the instruction manual was lying to you, that actually the volume knob goes the other way, um, then you would be disappointed. Mm. And that would be a, a, an egregious sort of, you know, yeah. wrong. Whereas if it's um, if you found out that um, the person on Jerry Springer happened to it didn't happen to them at all. Um, and they were just acting really and just trying to get some fame. You, you, you'd still be annoyed, or but you probably wouldn't be as annoyed, and but you'd probably intuitively recognise it's a different sort of environment that we're working yeah. in. It is kind of entertainment. Uh, is this an avenue we want to explore? Yeah. Or, yeah, go on, Nick. Well, I, I think to pick up this idea that, um, you know, we, we're, we're, stories are useful. I know it's something we sort of cover quite a lot on this podcast. We, we, do you have some Shannon entropy thing? Entropy thing, which right? We, so I'm just still. That's basic. We're not going to dig I still that up shudder again about that. But keep going. But the idea is that stories are useful. The utility of a story comes from its um, inform it, the fact that it informs us, which means that it has to do something new at least you know okay well look if stories were entertaining in themselves then you wouldn't find you'd find it just as interesting to watch a film a second time as you did the first time and that's patently not the case now we might with some and there's a few films i've watched dozens of times but in general you'd accept that you'd accept that reading a story the second time isn't is is different, it's a different what you're experience. looking for in the second or third experience is very different from what you're looking right. for in the first but, one probably but, the, yeah. but, but, but i think the the idea would be that at, at its root there is something about being informed about a story about learning something um so what are you informed by well reality is more informative than lies right but the problem is that nearly all of reality is boring Right. So we, mm. we have this we have this there's really a tension between the two roles that we want. Um, we, we you know, we, we want things to be true, but we also want them to be informative. And the trouble is that most of reality 
it isn't both, right? So, so it's much. I can come up with a hundred things that, if they were to happen, would be entertaining, and only one will be actually what happened, right? But, so, no, no, no. Actually, the on, thing is on. that it's, it's very, it's actually very similar to the problem of open world computer games. It's a similar problem that people think they want open world computer games, right? It's really nice the idea where you can go off and explore this whole, you know, entire world of of lots of different characters and people. It's a, the problem is that um, unless some structure is imposed into that by the game designers, it, it's boring. It, it Like nothing entertaining will happen. So generally in an open world computer game, what happens is you just, you go somewhere and a little quest starts. And that quest actually has a narrative structure that's imposed by the game designers. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, and that's, that's essentially open world, good open world computer games do that. You know, so in Skyrim or something, you go to a new town that you've not been in before and you discover the Thieves Guild and then you have some missions and that kind of thing. Because people think they want the open world, but they don't. They actually want an entertaining narrative. Then they want to be in it and they want to be the hero. And, and so you cannot get both. You cannot have a narrative-free, uh, realistic game. But you can't have one or the either. Right. Either. You've got to have right. both. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What I mean, it, well, you can have a narrative-free, realistic game, but it would be boring. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so there you go. I think that's the fundamental problem. And 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 yeah. But I got a slightly, uh, I've got a sort of you know slightly enhanced version of that. But I might get to that. Okay. In a bit, because what you've just said sums up how I often feel about this podcast. Right. Which is when you guys are talking, um, I sometimes get a bit bored. Right. Because it's just, it's just. You just got this ability, this uh, talent, for turning a really interesting, fun topic into something really dry and boring. Right. So Be because yeah, the way by, I look at it is by, by understanding something, by understanding something and taking it apart, applying it, a structure, by ta by ta opening the back of the clock and seeing how it works. That is more interesting to me and than, yet, than just marvelling at the hands going round, going, <laughs> oh, look, that one's going faster than that one. But it needs that leavening that I can bring to this. With, maybe. With, I mean, maybe know. it needs it no, needs the front of the clock as well. You've got to have some front. Saying, yeah. But um, no, no, it really does actually. Does because, you know, I, I do get frustrated sometimes going, oh, God, these guys are going on about it. It's a bit boring. And it's, really, and it's all, yeah, OK, it's really important. It's factual and informative, etc. But it's not very fun. And then afterwards, I'm, I go, you know, either in the moment or much later, I go, actually, that's probably really worthwhile. Mm. We needed to hear that. Um, so it's that same kind of tension, maybe. Um, so you've got something we're going to come on to later. Let's keep going round. So uh, Chris takes on a bit further. Yeah, well, uh, so I, I think that idea that um, <clears throat> that reality is 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 diluted information, whereas stories are concentrated mm -hmm. information, you know, is kind of consistent with that, that idea we talked about early of, uh, earlier of stories being more truthful um, th than reality, potentially. But I, I think there's, there's two, two things that, uh, that I think are quite interesting is, is um, one is the, um, the era of, uh, you know, in a postmodern era, uh, this notion that truth can somehow be voted on and the way that um, social media has accelerated that uh, that that idea that, you know, um, where literally it is voted on, you know, by likes and 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 so forth, um, that that's what what does that mean where there's um, there's 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 no um, 
there's less acceptance of the idea of an objective truth and that it's much more subjective. And then you look at things which are becoming more contentious currently, like history, okay? So... Um, Say that last bit again. Things are coming, becoming more contentious now yeah, okay. in, in the environment that we exist in, yeah. like, like history and historic interpretations. Well, like the recent Cleopatra uh, sort of in inverted commas documentary. Mm. Uh, well, it was a, it was a, it was a bio, not not a biopic. Well, I think it's meant it was, to be a documentary, right? But I think okay. people have, have yes, it's been, disagreed it's been, with certain aspects. It's been it. being controversial, exactly. Mm. But but um, Hilary Mantel uh, said, which is quite 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 an interesting quote, basically, that as soon as we die, we enter into fiction, right? And she gives the example of, uh, you know, if you ask two relatives of somebody who's recently died. You will you will understand that because you get two totally in different interpretations of who they were and, and, and what they are. And um, so so particularly when we're sort of, you know, looking at establishing facts about the past, what actually happened, there is a reality, which is that um, our evidence is always subjective. There's there's there's, there's we can't you know, there, there are elements of it, but but um, I think it's. Um, the historian Patrick Collinson, who who said that you know, uh, basically ninety nine percent of the evidence is unrecorded speech, you know, and that's why it's very difficult to establish what what the truth was historically. I, I think Chris is giving a very elaborate <clears throat> excuse for the only way is Essex, and and it's completely inexcusable in my mind. I don't think he's defending it. To be fair, no, to him. no, but I I think you know it feels to me at the end of all this I want to go. Yeah, but look, I mean, Henry VIII was the king of England, yeah. and he did have a certain Correct. personality. I, 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 suspect Chris feels, I, suspect, things I think Chris probably feels the same. There but. might be uncertainty about it, but it doesn't mean that too. If someone came along and said, "Actually, did you know that Henry VIII was a woman or something?" That's not an equally valid viewpoint because it just isn't true. Correct. Like, I think we three oldies probably agree on this. I don't know about about you know, um, Mister Zuma Millennial. No, I, yeah, I agree as well. <laughs> I agree as well. Okay, that's good. That's reassuring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so where does that leave us with Jerry Springer? Okay, so... I've got an interesting sidelight, which might might be a di small diversion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I know I always reference TV tropes, but it's such an awesome website. But they, they've got a they've got a thing that they, they call aluminium Christmas trees, um, which are... So it, which apparently comes from the fact that you sometimes see references to aluminium Christmas, Christmas trees in slightly older... Um, you know, works of fiction. Well, because and everyone thinks that's that sounds like a preposterous, made-up thing, taking the Mickey out of um, commercialism. But actually, they were real, and quite a lot of people bought them. Hmm. Um, and there's quite a few of these things where things that are in fiction are judged to be unrealistic, even though they're not, or things that writers don't even include that are realistic because they're worried that they'll seem unrealistic. So things like. Um, apparently, a lot of people, uh, I, I guess particularly younger people, think that the DeLorean in Back to the Future was not it, a real car. No, and was made up as, oh. as meant to be a sort of one of Doc Brown's inventions. Or oh, something. right. OK. Um, in Days of Thunder, yeah. a lot of people characterized, uh, sorry, uh, criticized the, the name of the main character, which was Cole Trickle, because they said that sounds like a parody of a southern name. Yeah. But apparently there was a real life stock car racer called Dick Trickle. Um <laughs> Ferris Bueller's Day Off. They, they, there's a bit where they try and reverse the wheels yeah, to make yeah. the odometer go backwards. Yeah. Well, apparently that used to work. 
Oh, really? Yeah, it seems oh, like a I ridiculous thing to do, but actually it did work. In fact, it doesn't in the film, but it yeah. feels... Um, the uh, uh, Ridley Scott apparently wanted to include a bit in Gladiator where the Gladiators um, do a product endorsement. Because apparently, yeah, apparently they used to have sponsors, oh, wow. you know, Raid Shadow Legends or whatever the equivalent would be <laughs> yeah. for the. Um, and but they didn't because they thought that would be so seem so unrealistic. And rightly so. That they, I think that was a good decision because people would go. Yeah, it was absurd. And then there's uh, the the swimming pool in It's a Wonderful Life, which is underneath the dance floor. Apparently, a lot of people think that was no, but they were quite common. Um, the helicopter buzzsaw in the world is not enough. Um, and then, and which what, is, what was they that use? They, they, oh, there's a chase with a heli- with a like massive buzz. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But they use those for forestry and stuff. So, uh, and then there's a bunch of things like which which aren't realistic, but have to be included because it doesn't seem realistic without them. So things like the sounds of a fist fight, for example, you get all the whoosh whack kind of sounds, lasers making noises, um, radioactive things glowing, uh, the flash bulb sounds you get when you've got a flash, even if it's not actually a, a flash a flash bulb, and the noises. That that you know typing and using a phone make like they they have to be in there because it doesn't feel right if they're not and that's the, that's sometimes called the coconut effect because horses hooves even if they're on soft ground have to make a coconut shells sound so anyway i just thought i'd throw that in as you know there's a our conceptions of what reality ought to look like in fiction can actually diverge from what reality is actually like and we in almost in some ways prefer the fictional version yeah yeah Uh, On that, um, and I think advances in VR, so virtual reality, um, with uh, as they're becoming increasingly immersive, um, that that distinction could be. So I think like like it's possible that a virtual reality could become indistinguishable from reality. Um, And so perhaps I was thinking maybe this is just maybe reality is kind of just a technical problem um and once we solve it feels like kind of thing peter would say yeah but, yeah, but it's kind of it's interesting because if if, it, if vr becomes so realistic that it's um you could pretty much coexist in a, in a completely virtual reality and universe um is that just reality then at some yeah. point yeah like, well, that well that's become... the brain in a vat hype but, yeah, but also yeah, this well, is the yeah. matrix as well yeah. i had to reinvent it because it was too perfect before so uh, yeah this is this is nick nick bostrom's um simulation hypothesis but um but but the 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 i i mean there's this idea that our perception of of reality right is just is just that it's the perception of of reality right which is where this subjectivity element does have some some uh, truth, I think. Um, uh, sorry, I used the word unironically there, but uh, um, uh, yeah, it's um, because when you you know all we all we know about what the world looks like and sounds like and feels like, just those terms are based on our sensory experience, right? So the, we look at the world and we think, well, that's what it looks like, isn't it? But of course, if there's no one there to look at it, it doesn't. It doesn't look like that, right? So um, your nose should appear in your peripheral vision all the time. It's there in your peripheral vision, but you don't see it because your your brain edits it out unless you concentrate on it, right? Mm. And so the reality is your nose is there all the time, but you don't you don't perceive that as your, as your reality. So you you there's this sort of um, sense that that we are 
we are sensing information and we're processing that information and that's giving us our reality. Now to Jordan's point, if you, you know, if you evolve virtual and augmented reality technologies forward and you, you know, you provide us with new sensors that that we don't currently have that enable us to in some way perceive uh, things that we can't currently perceive, that in a sense changes our reality in some in some way because um so so yeah i think this it, it's a it's um we well if you put on my son's got virtual reality uh headset it, it doesn't matter how realistic the thing he's looking at is when he walks into the coffee table he still falls over exactly because yeah yeah mm. um, and also although this is true that we're all our own walking narratives because it's always passing through some sort of um, sensory bridge, as it were. And there is a sense of commonality because we all, we're all doing that. And yet, you know, he does walk into a table um, and um, Stalin did um, declare war on Hitler. So there's some, there are still some facts there. Yeah, but I, I, but, it, but it, maybe this explains why it's tricky to, to, boil, to nail stuff down, especially this question of perception and... Has got well, to augment there the, is, uh, to make it you, true. Have you heard tell of a histrionic personality disorder? No, but I like it, this. It just strikes me that that's almost like a one a one person walking reality TV, almost like Jerry. Sp what it, is it? What basically, is in the context of this podcast, it's like turning your life into a, into the Jerry Springer show, right? It's, it's people who really have a have a high desire for attention. And uh, are sort of loud and inappropriate. They're exaggerated in their behaviours and emotions, and they and they crave stimulation. And essentially, I think it's it's about wanting to be to live a to live your life as though it's a drama. Oh. So so, but it's recognised. Something as you've a, been diagnosed with. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, it's recognised as a personality disorder. But um, I but it's, see it's an this interesting, a lot. Yeah, sorry, go yeah. on, go on, sorry, sorry, no, sorry. No, no, I, I just thought it was just struck me as interesting when we're thinking about that kind of personalised. You know, it, it's almost like instead of um, not the literal perceiving the world as uh, as as different because the world is like it is. It's an actual attempt to create your life as though it is a drama. It's nice to hear this defined because, and this is going to be, you know, horrible sweeping generalization and very kind of anti-American, but something I see a lot in, yeah, in American friends, but also just stuff that we know is out there is, for example, what do you call it when everyone suddenly dances in a certain style that what's, what's when everyone, it's like a pre-prepared dance that looks spontaneous, but it's not spontaneous. A flash mob. Oh, flash mob. There, and, and when that happens at people's weddings in, mm. and everyone's prepared it and and it's where the event becomes um, more the thing than the actual thing underneath. And so I'm rambling and not making sense. But, no, uh, my, but, my but dad, it, I remember my dad saying saying um, to me once, we were, this was before Jerry Spring, this would have been in the 80s, and we were watching something like whatever the kind of American daytime TV show thing was. And, and he said... Um, uh, Americans are such naturals on TV. Like you just get an American, you stick a microphone in front of them, and hey presto, they're a they're a TV personality. And and it, I think there is a truth to that. Like in a way, like Jerry Springer, it's hard to imagine Jerry Springer having emerged in in Poland. Yeah. Well, if you I, compare the, if you compare um, <laughs> the, the, the the price the price is right uh, the US version versus the UK version. I don't know if you have ever seen you know from the from the 80s yeah. the price is right in the in the US and they're just 
all, you know, the entire playing their part absolutely on top form, whereas it just didn't work in this country. Yeah, and that's when you get these beautiful, um, awkward, horrible, but delightful clashes with someone like Hugh Grant being interviewed on the Oscar red. carpet um we need to we need to stop mm. um yeah i think we've covered a lot of ground there okay i need to round it, this off so question what, what's your favorite fiction um that's based on a on a real story uh chris uh well i'm gonna pick the example of the film uh the perfect storm uh two, mm. a 2000 uh film based on the the loss of the um andrea gale uh in the 1991 um, sort of super storm that occurred off the, the US eastern seaboard. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it's a great story because um, essentially all they really know is that a boat went out to sea and it didn't it didn't come back again <laughs> and the crew Don't know why I'm lost. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. um, and from that they've constructed, a, you know, a two-hour two-hour film with all sorts of things going on on the boat and you know it's it's based on based on real events well i mean you know so there are there were certain contacts and so on but a bit a bit like making a film about mh370 and detailing you know the the conversations between the pilot and the yeah you know um yeah uh, and his co but also in a perfect storm if i remember there were like two or three fronts all moving in together yes it it, It was a perfect storm right yeah yeah um uh, so, so yeah, but you've got all this sort of essentially entirely extrapolated, supposedly based on 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 reality. Um, so, but it's it's quite entertaining. Um, mm. yeah, so, yeah, I've not seen right. it for years. Probably only seen it once. Yeah, um, guys, what are you? Uh, I mentioned Huntress Thompson before. I think I'm going to go with Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Excellent choice. The film, though, not the book. Johnny Depp also film, an excellent choice um, which was yeah allegedly based on a true story but um, it doesn't seem Is that directed possible. by Terry Gilliam I was just trying to look I don't know might I, be there's a lot of it that seems to yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah just a hallucinogenic um, you know drug fueled just ridiculous yeah um, it's, a, it's a realistic depiction of a LSD trip yeah reality or fiction <laughs> Mm, yeah, I've never watched that film, uh, and I think it's I've good. read the book, um, but I just remember the. I, just, I think the film is kind of unwatchable. No, but, no, both are good. But and yet you have watched Got Benicio it. Benicio del Toro in, I think. So, yeah, oh, does yeah, it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Nick, um, so I'm going to slightly unusual example, but Fargo, which is the Coen Brothers, the film, first, um, the first one. It's a the, film. the film as opposed to the TV, yeah, not yeah, the TV, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which be- opens with um, a statement that. Um, uh, that this is based on true events that happened in Minnesota or something. But the Coen brothers are quite upfront, actually, about the fact it isn't. It's total fiction. But they, they put that in as a device, as a fictional device. Um, I think it's a really interesting thing to do, to say, well, we're actually quite, we're going to tell you it's a true story. And does that affect your perception of it? And I think, I feel like, actually, everything we've discussed, it probably does I think so I think it's an interesting move so I'm going to go with Fargo even though in fact it isn't based on a true story yeah yeah no I like that um okay I got Braveheart (laughs) (laughs) controversial choice yeah because also because my antecedents but also I just sit there just being terribly Scottish watching it really and you can hear how Scottish I am right now actually um well your surname is McGrew yeah 
And um, but it, I think it's pretty much entirely fiction. Well, not entirely fictional. And yeah, that, there's there's some vague, there, were, there, there was a yeah, country called England. There was a country called Scotland. Scotland. They didn't yeah. always get on. And yeah. there was this guy William Wallace. Um, but beyond that, you know, I think most of it is a load of rubbish. Yeah, but, but yeah. it doesn't matter because it's bloody amazing. Uh, yeah, I had the misfortune of being at Edinburgh University when that came out, and it, it's fair to say it rode it rode a bit of a tide of Scottish nationalism yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think people what? were willing to overlook the some slight inaccuracies of ninety five percent of the film <laughs> yeah. because yeah, yeah. It, it to them it was like, well, it should be true. Yeah. So let's that'll do. If they, if they want to be led by an Australian, Jordan can can go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right, nice. Let's stop there. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I am Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Nick Hare, Chris Ragg, and Jordan Vermalis of LF Insights. Until next time, goodbye. Mm -hmm.